You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Welcome to another episode of Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the MBDA. I'm Heather Mason. Thanks for listening. I'm happy you're here. If you're a first-time listener, be sure to check out all the previous episodes. Do us a favor and leave a review. It helps members of our industry find our podcast. As always, the MBDA is thankful for our donors and association members. If you would like to make a donation to the MBDA, you can do so directly on our webpage. Special thanks to Canberra Gel Products for your donation to the MBDA. I'm a huge fan of their products. The company is based in Lancaster, New York, and it's founded by a great friend of mine, a cyclist. The entire staff is passionate about sport, and they make chamois cream, sport wipes, sanitizer, gear, and air fresheners, all tea tree oil based, supernatural, feels so good on your skin. Check them out. It's canberragel.com. That's K-A-N-B-E-R-R-A-G-E-L.com. I'm very excited about today's conversation. The guest today is Nate Nordstrom. He is owner of New Spin Bicycle Shop located in Rochester, Minnesota. A lifelong entrepreneur and new business owner of an eccentric bicycle retail location featuring electric scooters and traditional acoustic bikes. Brands include Giant, Turn, Urban Arrow, Orbea, and Terratrike. Some key takeaways from today's conversation will be the process of opening a new bike shop, your business plan, employees, and location, and considerations for an e-bike-focused business. What a great opportunity to bring a new bicycle shop owner to talk about the process of opening and his path into our industry. Without further ado, welcome, Nate. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I think it's been maybe a month or so, maybe a little bit more since we first chatted and you were in the process of the build out. I know you had a timeline and I think originally the shop was set to be open by now. Catch me up on where you're at in the process. Yeah. So the the original timeline is broken. Uh, I was supposed <laughs> to be open on March 20th, which was my birthday and the first day of spring. So I thought, oh, that'd be a pretty good fit. So planned it out months ago. It didn't happen due to the nature of these sorts of things. We ended up with delays with initially signing the lease and just lease negotiations. And then we ended up with the city telling us we needed extra permits that we didn't realize that we needed or weren't originally told that we needed. And that's added a whole nother month or two so we're probably about a month from opening still, but I'm just doing basically doing appointments now anyway, have been selling bikes by appointment. Interesting. So I am thinking about Rochester, Minnesota. I've never been there. Can you give our listeners like a little bit of the sense of the demographics of the area? Yeah. So Rochester, Minnesota is home to Mayo Clinic. It's a town of about 115,000 people, but there's about 38,000 people that work at Mayo Clinic. So it is healthcare by far. There are other industries, of course, here, hospitality, food services, and then just kind of a little bit of, of everything else. It's a nice like middle-sized town. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska originally, which is a little larger town. So Rochester really felt like a small town to me. There's rarely a traffic jam um, and things like that. But demographic wise, I would say that the income is slightly above average. Unemployment is slightly lower than average. The trail system is really good. There's a good number of young families with kids that are kind of mo- moving to the area to get a job at Mayo Clinic or one of, the, one of the other businesses here. And then there's a good number of folks that are older 
that are either near retirement or at retirement or maybe still working at Mayo, but they're sort of in their, their upper years. Awesome. So it makes me think that uh, I want to know your thought process on being a person who lives there to decide this community needs an e-bike shop or just a bicycle shop in general. But are you a cyclist? Is that where you were approaching this from? Great question. You know, like at a base level, I'm just a, I'm just a dad who loves to get outside and do stuff with my family. And bikes has been one of the key ways that we've done that. I wouldn't call myself even a semi-professional cyclist. I like to bike. I've got a friend who used to race kind of semi-professionally, but that's sort of what brought me into the industry really was family and, and electric cargo bikes. How about Rochester, Minnesota for cycling in general? Is there recreational paths? Uh, is there other bike shops? Yep. There's, there's several other bike shops. The path system here is really solid. And the more we rode around, the more we realized how well put together the path system is here. So there's plenty of places to ride just for fun. And it's, it's actually practical to take a bike just about anywhere for commuting purposes as well, which has been great. I feel like the, the, I don't know if you've been overseas, have you been like to Europe or any other country where you've seen people out? It definitely makes you think that what's capable here in the U S (laughs) right. Yeah, I think so. I think one of our biggest challenges in the U.S. is that we our whole infrastructure is built around cars in most cities. So most cities don't have great biking lane sort of infrastructure, and they also are really spread out. Things in Europe tend to be more compact and tend to have even roads in Europe that are only for bikes and walking, which is just a different sort of philosophy. I think you're starting to see some trends that direction. And in fact, Rochester is one of the cities pushing some of those trends, which is another reason, uh, was another sort of positive indicator for what we want to do with our shop. So why not a traditional bike shop? Why the focus on electric bikes? Was there something about e-bikes that caught your eye? I mean, do you ride one? (laughs) Yes, we do ride one. And actually I purchased an electric cargo bike from a company called Blix online as a pre-order. And it's one of those like cheaper rad bike style bikes. And that was our first experience with an electric bike and our first experience with a cargo bike. I purchased two of them. This was just a couple of years ago and it truly changed our family's life. It allowed us, my wife and I with young kids to be able to put the kids on the back and go on a ride and not have them tired and complaining after like a mile. (laughs) And the other bonus was we could ride together. So it wasn't like my wife was more tired than me or vice versa. Like we could actually both keep up, but we were still both pedaling and both getting some exercise. So that was a real eye opener for us. And then as we're riding these things around everywhere we go, people were saying, where'd you get that? Where'd you rent that? And then when they found out it wasn't a rental, they'd say, where'd you buy it? So we just got questions constantly and it got me thinking, okay, maybe people, other people would actually like these too. And the more we actually, we would bring friends to go on rides with us as well. And they absolutely loved it. So it just became really clear that this was an opportunity and a trend that nobody, no, none of the other shops seemed to be paying attention to. 
Yeah, the e, when you hop on an e-bike, it's a definite instant smile that comes across your face. Um, Nate, you mentioned cargo bikes, and I feel like the cargo bikes, they're coming to the U.S. That's the next, you know, um, thing that we should be paying attention to. Do you have any thoughts around cargo for the U.S. market? Definitely. Again, I think as far as like what's practical with a cargo bike, I, we, we sell Urban Arrow as well. I just put one together the other day and we were we were test riding it with the family. It's huge. Uh, it's it's like it's fun and it's practical, but in a different sort of way. It's not something you can put on a bike rack. So you really with the bike, especially like an urban arrow, I think you have to have a very clear purpose for it and it has to really fit kind of your lifestyle. So if you're gonna get an urban arrow, you're the type of person that's gonna plan to actually start from your house, go out, maybe run some errands, actually maybe drop the kids off at daycare, maybe go pick them up at school, and then come back rather than the type of rider that maybe puts their bike on a bike rack and goes out to, I don't know, a camping trip or a, some other trail somewhere else. And those kind of bikes are great too. But I think just specifically talking about cargo, I think it you have to have the right sort of city infrastructure and then the right sort of buyer for those. And I think that there's enough of that in Rochester for that to, to take off a little bit anyway. I don't, I don't imagine we'll see tons of them, but I think that there's buyers to be had that, that nobody was really serving. I think part of it is showing the product, right? And like you said, you were out riding on the path and people saw, all right, so we're getting really into e-bikes and there's so much there, but I think we just need to know a little bit more about you. I know that you are involved in companies called Easy Board and Brand Who, and I know you're an entrepreneur. Can you tell us a little bit just about your past so we can figure out how you how you came to the bicycle industry? <laughs> yeah, well, I grew up constantly trying to figure out ways to make things and sell things. Nobody really had to tell me to do that. I just love to do that. I even made, as a kid, I would make like little, what I thought were clay pots, but it was basically like little dirt pots out of like our backyard to like put stuff in. And then I would sell them to neighbors and especially to my brother. And I made him a coupon book. I don't know if I was like six years old or something. I made him a coupon book for my stuff, I but it, it expired like the next day, all the coupons. <laughs> buy today. Yeah. So he got like pressure to buy stuff. So like, I've also learned like some of those things are just bad ideas. Like it doesn't really create friends, but I did make some sales. So I also grew up with uh, sort of in an entrepreneur family, my dad, and then his dad started a Christmas tree farm about 40 years ago and they did that seasonally. So just growing up, even from a young age, I knew that and I experienced working with customers, doing customer service, trying to navigate all the complexities of that. Cause sometimes customer will have a request that's totally unreasonable. And sometimes they have a very reasonable request. So just kind of figure that out. So we, we really learned hard work at a young age. We would plant thousands of trees and then just combine with sort of my own interest and bent and there's a whole bunch of stories in there that I can tell you. I used to run cross country and was pretty serious about that. And that was a very like grueling sport that taught me a lot of endurance and, you know, having, getting through stuff as long as you have a clear goal in mind. And I love that you brought so. up, you know, like your, your store when you were younger, I used to do the same thing. I would have like my parents sit down and I'd make a fake menu and they'd have to come to my restaurant and buy everything. And and I agree that what we do in our sports and our athletic pursuits definitely is that same mindset, that competitive driving spirit. 
So here you are, you're an entrepreneur, you're, you know, brand who, which I think is a data platform, right? And easy board. Tell us yeah, about those two. I guess let me tell you a little bit about Easyboard and Brandhoot. There's more than that too. There's a few other things. About 10 years ago, I felt burnt out at my job and it was like a daily deal startup. It was like like Groupon, but it was called Deal Garden. And that was back when that was a very, very hot platform and very hot marketing tactic. And I just, I could foresee the downfall of that model. It was already starting to happen where businesses weren't really well served with that. So I've never, ever been one to want to sell something that I didn't believe in. And I just didn't believe in the business model anymore because I was seeing customers not really get the results that we were telling them they were going to get. So I'm not going to sell that to them and make up numbers. And so I resigned and I happened to actually be the first employee at that company. And so it was kind of a hit to the company and I felt really bad about that. And I don't know if I handled it the greatest way either. I didn't realize at the time how much impact that would have on the company and just kind of where things were at. But I started Brandhoot as sort of an answer to the issues I saw with DealGarden as far as a marketing and sort of sales approach. And my goal with Brandhoot was to help small businesses better connect with their customers in a sustainable way. And so I cold called a couple local restaurants. Cold calls are something that I was totally used to in my previous job. I did over a hundred cold calls a day prior to that. So it was like no big deal. So I just called up strangers and asked for appointments, got some appointments, got some customers and started serving them with social media marketing. And that went well, but I was severely undercharging. And so once I started to figure out like how to make this more sustainable and started raising prices and tweaking the model, we lost some customers and then gained some new customers and then started getting requests for websites. And so fast forward a whole bunch, Brandhoot has a team of eight people we do websites and mobile applications. We do work for Mayo Clinic. We do work for some other organizations around the region. And out of that, our team has developed a lot of experience with creating new brands and launching websites and doing a lot of the foundational stuff, the HR side of stuff, employee handbooks, like all the behind the scenes stuff that you don't think about when you open a new business. Mm-hmm. We've done that now. And I've been deeply involved in that for years to a point now where I could foresee launching something like New Spin. And we'll talk more about why why launch a, a bike shop. But a lot of the behind the scenes stuff just comes very natural and we've kind of done it before. So I kind of knew what to expect. I knew it wasn't going to be easy and I knew kind of what pitfalls to avoid. But there's definitely been stuff to learn for sure as well. Easy board, super briefly on that. Easy board is a a product of Brandhoot. So I personally and our team are very product brand minded. So Brandhoot does client services, which is great, but you're always constantly chasing like the next project. Easyboard is a product with a recurring annual subscription. And so it's a way for nonprofit boards to manage their people, meetings, and documents. And so for a nonprofit board, this is super convenient and efficient. And we're, we're growing that product think we're right now just just crossed like 30 customers it's a pretty new product and in about like 15 states or something and that's going to be recurring annual so that's awesome because now like we're building we're we're literally building a SaaS subscription based software that's completely custom that we own entirely so that's like my other side of my life business life and then I don't know how you're wearing so many hats there's a lot Um. going on yeah. When you and I first connected, I went directly, I, like I always do, I went directly to your website. 
I always go directly to the website of whatever shop I'm talking to, but new newspinshop.com, your website is amazing. So yeah, let's why a bike shop dive into that with me. You've got so much else going on, you know, talk to me about that. Yeah. So my wife kind of made me promise a few years ago that I wouldn't start a new business or any more businesses, but I kind of smiled and we talked about it a little bit more and she like, she kind of knew like they're, I'm just wired to create things and to set up teams and to scale things. And so I knew there was going to be something else at some point, and this probably won't be the last thing, but the, the key really was like, how do you do that sustainably and make sure that it has enough focus and, the, and really the right team in place so that it can be successful without me being directly involved? Because there's no way I have enough time to, to be there every day and like be fixing all the bikes and everything. I just can't do it. And I'm totally okay with that. So getting the team set up is key. So why a bike shop? Going back to the, the promise my wife made me make, like a year and a half ago, we were on vacation in the Smoky Mountains. And I was sort of complaining to her really about how we had, I saw so much opportunity to create an e-bike specialty bike shop. And I didn't feel like it was ever going to happen. And we just didn't have the resources. We didn't have the team. She wouldn't want me to do another thing anyway, and et cetera, et cetera. And then she just kind of like, she kind of paused me and said, I think you should do it. Awesome. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, did you just give me permission to do a, another thing? And she's like, yeah, I did. Because I think I, I sit in front of a computer most of the time for my, my other businesses. And eventually, I, I don't think it matters who you are. Eventually, you could just get sick of sitting in front of a computer. And I really, even when I was a kid, I, I sort of promised myself that I would never have a desk job. And now somehow I do. I, so I like the computer side of stuff, but I really want to do something with my hands and I love working with customers and a bike shop really, it's a more of a customer facing thing. The stuff I do in the technology world is sometimes abstract for the average person. And what I found with e-bikes, specifically just the spark of an electric cargo bike is it was really the spark of the idea. It enabled what is in a lot of ways kind of an average family with kids to now be engaged with bikes and exercise and being outdoors in a way that we never were before. So while I hope to serve more of that, like for lack of a better term, like hard, hardcore biker, that's not what caused me to start the shop. The shop really is started for getting the average person on a set of wheels and getting them pedaling, getting them out there so far so good. But that was really sort of the vision behind it. And I just couldn't let the idea go. And then my wife said to do it. So here we are. So here we are. I love that you have someone that supports you. She's amazing. Okay. So you've done a lot of businesses in the past, but bicycle shop, maybe something you're not familiar with. When you were attacking the business plan, was there anyone that you used or reached out to professionalize to help you? Absolutely. So one of the absolutely key things that I've come to realize over the past 10 years running some of these other businesses has been find experts in whatever it is you're trying to solve and work with those people and listen to them. So I reached out, found the NBDA and then reached out through there to find David DeKaiser, who's a consultant for bike shops. He's been extremely helpful. He helped me figure out, like, I, I didn't know what what's what's a normal margin to expect. And then by the way, based on that margin, how do you how do you achieve that margin? And what are the pitfalls? Why are some shops disappearing? What are the factors he's seen in that happening? And, and so 
figuring out margins, figuring out product mix, figuring out even just his advice on like picking up giants. So as I was in the middle of planning this bike shop and looking for a place to lease or buy, the local giant dealer shut down. He retired and he was one of giants first dealers in the U S so he's been around a long time. So there's a customer base already for giant. There's a loyal following and they're just a big, good brand. So he shut down while I'm planning. So I immediately called him up. Well, I should say though, first I talked to David and said, Hey, here's what happened. Do you think I should pick up giant? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, you should definitely do it. So and we talked through a little bit more, but I got a better sense f- through with his advice to say, do it. And here's why. So David's been extremely helpful. Also reached out and found a gentleman with fixture lab named Brian. Oh, Brian. Hawkins, yeah. Who has been helping me design the shop. So I had all kinds of ideas and I've done some like building design. My dad's actually an architect. So I've like seen some things over the years that are pretty fancy and high end and funky. Like our old house had a leaning wall and some different stuff. So like my, my sense of like design and architecture is maybe a little bit, sometimes maybe a little bit out there, but I try to make things like interesting. So I had ideas, but I've never built a bike shop before. And it's similar in some ways to designing like a piece of software, but not really because like in the software world, if, if we don't like the color of something or we don't like the way it looks, we just change it in the code. Like in five minutes, it's done. In the bike shop world, like if I design my shop layout and then I decide that wall isn't in the right spot, I don't just like click and drag. Uh, it, it doesn't really work that way. So like, okay, I don't want to mess this up. I need to work with somebody who knows the ins and outs of how to design a successful shop layout. So Brian has been very helpful in that. And was able to take, there'd been a lot of back and forth and I've probably been one of his most picky clients ever, which I'd happily admit, but I'm just very particular about the branding of things, the flow of things. I really want to create this modern approachable, but kind of approachable higher end feel where Mm -hmm. when you walk in, you feel like the shop itself is actually part of the experience. So for example, we've actually got turf going up one of the walls and there'll be product on that. And it goes up like about 18 feet and it'll be lit in some interesting ways. And there'll be the logo on that. So like my whole sort of theme is, is kind of connecting the average person with technology that helps you get outside. I mean, when I went to your website, I'm getting, I already, I was like drawn into that feel of something unique was happening here, but turf on the wall. I, I love that idea. And I, I'm friends with Dave and, um, and Brian, and I think it's great that you reached out to professionals, especially with this industry that you're not, you know, too familiar with, but obviously now you're, you know, all in. Let's talk about the buildings. So did you have a space in mind originally? Are you renting or buying or? So I had a space in mind that's actually located a couple blocks from my house that was for sale. That property, after I talked with a couple local contractors and got their estimates on actually fixing it up and making it what it needed to be, it was going to be a huge amount of money to sink into it. And by the time you did that, it would have been maybe worth it. But then the real kicker was because of COVID, no bank is giving financing. At least they weren't when I asked. They said, I'm sorry, like your brand new business has a successful track record, but we actually don't care at all because this is a new venture. So there is no financing available. It basically forced me to say, okay, we're going to have to find somewhere to rent. We did that. And then I, I was just 
I was just kind of looking everywhere and I've been looking for months too, but I was just driving around with my kids actually and saw a random sign outside of a building on a frontage road in a pretty near a pretty popular shopping center in Rochester. And it said for, for lease. And I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. So I walked in the, the owner was actually there. We talked, I looked at the space. I was immediately impressed with both the location and the, the, it's like a real tall ceiling. It's got the clean, polished concrete floors. We've changed it quite a bit now, but it like the, the bones of it was exactly what I would have wanted. It has this more open sort of feel. We can even almost create like an REI kind of feel versus like this, you know, eight foot popcorn ceiling kind of thing, which I was like, not at all what I was going for. So we're renting. Yeah, it's a little bit about how we, we ended up renting. Bicycle Retail Radio is supported by our NBDA members. All our member benefits can be found at nbda.com. Join the NBDA today. I love so sometimes, right? What you necessarily want in the beginning is turns out to be, you know, it's like, oh, I'm glad that didn't happen because I ended up with something better. Yeah. Well, the other thing I'd say quickly about that is actually the place I originally wanted to buy is on a bike path. Oh, okay. So the original concept was we could do sales and rentals and the bike path where it is, is, is a great spot. You can go about a half mile one way to what's called Silver Lake and go around that. You can go about a half, half mile the other way and you can go to Rochester's largest by far like a nature preserve area. And it's beautiful over there called Quarry Hill. So I like that aspect of it, but I even had like business people in the community telling me, I don't think that's a great location. It's, it's in a neighborhood. They're like, you really should look at something more visible. But anyway, I was kind of forced out of that anyway, because of the finance stuff. It is a uh, good consideration for e-bikes though, to have a space that's safe for demoing, right? Um, do you yeah, have that? it is. So we've got, we've got an okay space for, for test rides. I think it's going to work fine. It's not as good as the, my first pick, but what we do have is a parking lot with only sort of one entrance exit. And then you can go around like sort of around a loop in that parking lot. And so for the most part, you're out of the way of where cars can even enter because there's only one entrance exit. So that works decent. And that's worked, that's worked well so far. Interestingly, David with a consultant at the NBDA, he told me that he has seen on average, the most successful shops have the worst test ride (laughs) facilities. Because well, that makes they, you feel good, right? Yeah, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> because he said usually the, the, those shops that are successful are because they have a lot of visibility or they're convenient to people or both. So that sort of reassured me too to say, mm-hmm. okay, as long as I've got an okay test area where they can at least ride safely, it's maybe not a bike trail, but it's okay that if all the other factors look positive, that this should be a good fit. Oh. I should add as well, I know this is kind of a lot about the location, but the other real deal maker for me on this was the same building, the adjacent space is a high-end car repair shop. I would say probably Rochester's nicest one. They've got like a lounge when you walk in the door, it's very classy and they work on a lot of nicer cars and frankly, cars nicer than mine. So those kind of customers, for better or worse, those are going to be the customers that have a little more expendable income for a more expensive e-bike. On the other side of me, directly adjacent, is a power sports dealer and a boat dealer. 
that dealer is like our region's premier boat and power sports. And those things are like 10 X or more what our products cost. And so I think there's a lot of crossover in terms of customers, more of that average person kind of customer that will be willing to at least check out our shop and may very well find themselves interested in something they didn't even know existed before. Yeah, I think that's a great crossover. And it sounds like the location is actually really amazing. I'm wondering when you're thinking about an e-bike store, is there anything special as far as your build out considerations, like in your repair shop, you know, workbenches, repair stands? A little bit. So we purchased one so far of the park tool, like a motorized stand. And that thing is huge and it is expensive. (laughs) It almost feels like overkill, but I'm a big believer in quality tools to do a good job. So we'll see, we may end up purchasing a second one of those, but basically you can just wheel the bike up to it. However heavy the bike is, doesn't matter. Clip it in and press a button and up it goes. So just a lot less wrangling with a heavy bike. So now you have this space, you have a business plan, you have your consultants. We know Giant, you had mentioned Giant. There's a lot of varieties of e-bikes. We talked about the one that you purchased online uh, originally back with your family. How did you cultivate your offering and decide what brands you were going to carry? And with this time, you know, this past year, how has it been securing brands? As far as how did we pick the brands? Giant, we talked about how we got that one. Really glad we did. The more, the more we're connected with Giant and, and purchasing products, the more glad I am that we, that we picked them up just because they have such a broad offering. The other brands I feel like are maybe a little more specialty. And so for example, with Turn, I'm just a huge fan of their products. And I purchased a couple of their products from a different bike shop just to try them out. And I had done a lot of research on them and heard a lot of good things. But then once I actually tried it and my wife tried it and our kids tried it and some friends tried it, I was absolutely sold on two things. One, the product is just really well designed and built. It's very comfortable. And two, it is a clear step up as far as experience, even just right within five minutes or even a minute of getting on a turn bike bike versus getting on a Blix or a, a rad bike. The quality of the ride, the smoothness, the pedal assist, everything about it on the turn is a clear step up. So I felt like strength wise, I was going to be able to legitimately compete against the notion that someone says, Hey, you know, why are the e-bikes online half the price? And I think I'm just going to buy one of those. In fact, we'll see how this goes, but I actually bought a rad. I have it in the shop. And if somebody asks, I'm actually going to let them try it or at least show it to them. I have another retailer who I chatted with who actually did that and brought it in and, you know, built it up just to gain experience with the brand and then does let people test ride, a inexpensive bike, if you would, and then maybe a higher quality bike and it's helped. So I think that's a really great idea. (laughs) We're going to try that. Yeah. It'll be interesting to, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But I think for a person that is looking more for the best value, not necessarily like all I can absolutely afford is $1,600. If they're actually looking more for a best value and they're actually looking at this as a longer term investment, I think it's a pretty easy, especially once you talk it through and then once you see the product, it's pretty easy to make the decision to go for the nice product. That's Turn and Turn also sells just, their designs are extremely clever. Just the the things that they're doing with the engineering on their bikes, 
I've been absolutely impressed with everything about them, the way they handle the, the wheel size and just the cleverness of how they fold and all these other aspects. So turn was, turn was really my number one. Once we were able to secure turn, then we sort of started stacking some of the other brands that I felt like would be important. So I wanted to have urban arrow because I wanted to have just a different sort of cargo bike. And I know that's the most popular cargo bike in Europe. So I thought, well, that really kind of fits with our scheme and kind of fills a gap. Orbea I picked because I like turn. I was just very impressed with their products. I felt like they, frankly, I really wanted to, uh, to carry specialized, but there's a couple specialized dealers in town already. So I just did more research, had a lot of conversations. I feel like Orbea is sort of similar to specialized, at least in terms of like beauty of the product. Like you almost, almost every specialized bike you look at and you're like, that thing just looks amazing. And Orbea kind of takes a similar approach. And so frankly, that's actually why I was initially drawn to them. I did more research as well. And I've just been really impressed with their products and their, how they put everything together. And Orbea allows us then to sell e-bikes that look like regular bikes and they're super well integrated. So Orbea has some bikes that stack up like very well against a specialized. They've got a mountain bike called the Rise that's extremely popular and like sold out months ago. That is a lightweight e-bike mountain bike, full suspension. That's an awesome bike. So I think Orbea really filled a gap and kind of stacked up well. Terra trike. I really wanted to, especially being in, in a medical related town, I wanted to have something that really I thought would work well. We've got some prosthetic companies. We've got some older folks in the area. And it was surprising to me that there was no Terra trike dealers in Rochester yet. So a call to them and some discussions about our community led to a pretty quick yes on adding them to the mix. And I think think that's all of our current list. We've got a couple that I'm working on right now. That sounds like a really great brand mix. I agree. Like bringing in Orbeo is definitely a great move for the lighter weight, like road bikes or whatnot. What about your sales staff mechanics? Are you going to actually be an employee? I mean, it sounds like you have a lot going on yourself. I do have a lot going on. I, I honestly, if someone asked me what my hobbies are, my hobbies are personal hobbies is building businesses. Like <sighs> I would do, I just, I do it in my head constantly. And so I'm probably going to work like Fridays or Friday afternoons and then maybe here and there as needed. But for the most part, the shop will be run by the team. So one of the other key pieces to deciding to, to actually go for it was finding someone that could be a head mechanic with experience in the industry. And so I thought I found the person and then he ended up backing out for a variety of reasons. And then I put out a job post at the advice of David at the NBDA. Mm-hmm. I posted it in, um, I don't know, some like bicycle retail magazine or something. Yeah. And I thought there is no way that I'm going to get a response. And I got a response and I got one response and it was totally random. It was a guy that lives in Austin, Minnesota, not too far from here. And used to own bike shops with his brothers back in the 90s and has worked on bikes, a lot of bikes his whole life. His name's Glenn. And we just got to talking and it's sort of been his dream to open a shop in Rochester for a lot of years. And so two and two came together. And so he's sort of our repair and shop manager. And then we're adding some staff. Then beyond that, we've got a guy who... I'm going to talk with again next week, actually, but he will most likely be our sort of front office, like sales kind of manager. Both of these guys, though, have crossover skills. So they both can 
Glenn can absolutely do sales and this other guy can do repairs as well. But those will sort of be the cornerstones. And then we'll see from there. I've got a few other part-timers lined up and I'd consider myself just one of the part-timers and we'll, we'll just try to fill gaps from there and see how busy we get. I love it when a plan comes together. What a great thought to place an ad in uh, bicycle retailer and industry news. And then you get someone <laughs> that's just, that's I like the, believe it. a very tough topic right now is finding uh, qualified people. In the technology and the marketing space with my other businesses, I am far more in the camp of using social media ads and the digital stuff because I've seen it work really well. We do it for our customers all the time. So I, I thought there's no way this would work, but I'm happily surprised it did. I saw on your website that you're already scheduling like appointments and um, yeah. how is that going? Like test rides, you're taking questions. Are, are people actually filling that form out? They are filling out the form and we are getting test ride requests. And then I, I manually, one at a time, follow up with them and schedule an appointment. So I've got three, I think four now appointments for Friday. They're filling it out and we're making it happen. I decided to do that because it was either start scheduling appointments or wait for the shop to be finished. And at this point, that still might be another month or so. And we've got product and we've got accessories and we've got Glenn and like, so we got to start turning some revenue. So we've sold some bikes. We've sold a good number of bikes already. And funny thing is been a lot of turns so far. I'm not too surprised, but so here's a really kind of funny, awkward side story. Most of the bikes we've sold so far, they walk in, there's a totally unfinished shop, like exposed studs and everything. There's dust on the floor here and there. And I've got three bikes assembled. That's it. Two of them are turn and one of them is a giant. So they like walk into a bike shop with three bikes. We talk about those three bikes and over 90% of people are buying one of those three bikes. Wow. That has uh, to make you feel positive, right? <laughs> it does, but it's like, from like a retail standpoint, I'm just trying to imagine what it's like to be them. Like that's got to be the weirdest thing ever. Yeah, it's definitely um, not a typical situation that we're selling in these days. And I actually just put an email out today to our members to be like, hey, it's a great time to reach out to these customers from this past year and welcome them back into your store. Um, yeah. So you'll definitely need to do that, do that, Nate. Welcome them back in when you open up. We're going to have to do that. The other thing I did actually last year when we, before we even officially decided to do a shop, we thought we might. And we got so many questions when we were riding around our electric cargo bikes as a family that I just, I made business cards and started handing them to people and signing people up for uh, email list. So once we officially decided to do it, I emailed the list and said, hey, it's, it's actually happening. Here's the plan. Here's the name. Here's the branding. Here's the products we're going to start carrying. And so we, we had like some interest drummed up from the start. Nice. It's like constant contact, right? Making it happen. Yeah. You know, you talked earlier about you're opening a shop amidst COVID and everything with supply chain being disrupted. Yeah. Anything that stood out about this time that maybe made it a little more challenging? Like, did you think about putting this off because of the state of, of you know, the, the situation globally or? I did consider putting it off, decided not to because, you know, there's just certain things you just feel like the time is right. I didn't want to wait anymore. I also felt like taking advantage of the trend and, and putting these brands together in one shop needed to happen and it needed to happen now. I didn't want to wait a few more years and see if somebody else picked up some of these brands. 
and then the dream is dead. So it was like, it's either, it's either we do it this year or we don't do it. So then I ha- started having conversations with the brands to say, Hey, can I even get inventory? Do you have product that you can sell me even? And sure enough, for the most part, the brands that we're working with are able to give us enough inventory that I think this first year is going to be at least a decent year. I'm definitely not getting all the inventory I want. There are a whole bunch of different giant acoustic traditional bikes that I will have a grand total of zero of for the rest of this year. Mm-hmm. But going into next year, I've already got a big order in. And so we'll be set next year. And so that's the other thing is orders for next year. Most shops have already made those, including us. And so if I wasn't quote in the business now, but I was going to try to open next year, I'd be behind again. I think it's going to be years before things get straightened out. So it was like, just, just figure it out. And I've never been a, never been afraid of a challenge, but yeah, we've got enough inventory to, I think to put ourselves in a good spot. We've also been very aggressive in buying, hopefully not too aggressive, but we've been very aggressive in purchasing product and getting things ready and so far we're selling it just at about the pace that we're buying it, at least lately. So I think that's going to put us in a pretty good spot. We certainly haven't been just waiting around to see if we sell something before we buy stuff. It's definitely like that magic eight ball and, and you have to be watching everything. Are you going to continue to work with Dave DeKaiser um, as you open and continue in the process? Absolutely. I hope to be uh, off and on contact with Dave. In fact, I need to call him again here, maybe after our, our <laughs> podcast is recorded and ask his advice on a tent event. So I just scheduled a tent event, got things lined up for the 16th and 17th of this month, because again, we've got product to sell. We don't have a shop ready. It's like at this point, it's spring. People want to buy product. Let's just do it. So we're going to get a 15 by 30 foot tent. We've got a friend who does homemade kettle corn. He's going to make it on the spot. That'll be cool. And then we've got a van that we wrapped. You can actually see pictures of the van if you just go to Google, but we wrapped our van. It's like a bright green. It's very branded, very memorable and like kind of sticks out. And so we'll have that there. Uh, Sounds fun. What a great idea, right? Like don't be limited by the fact that your space isn't ready yet. Um, and I was going to ask if you have plans to connect with your community. Yeah, so we're just going to go for it. Uh, absolutely. I don't know exactly how we'll do that yet, but I, this is sort of the first step. Maybe this tent event um, I would like to do monthly rides or something. And I think we'll have like themes. So one of the, one of the themed rides would be like cargo bikes and families. Cause there, there's a growing number of those and hopefully there'll be more if we have something to do with it, but there's already some of those in town. And then other themed rides like like a road bike ride or whatever like you know some of the more traditional stuff maybe that shops do and then maybe a few more non-traditional things that most shops i don't know maybe they've thought about it maybe they haven't but nobody's really doing it all right so (laughs) here you are in the process takeaways give us a tip for someone thinking about opening or starting a bicycle shop (laughs) call david and call brian uh (laughs) And David will try to talk you out of it actually, because he knows the challenges, which is awesome. Or at least that's what he did for me. He said, are you really sure? Here's why I don't think you should do it. So we basically addressed all of those concerns to then say, okay, let's do it. Call some experts, phone a friend would be my number one tip. 
Yeah. And I promise to listeners, I did not know that Nate worked with Dave. <laughs> like I didn't bring him on the podcast because I knew that. Um, but Dave's contact is on the P2 Consulting on the MBDA website. So um, wow. any other tips? I know you already gave one, but is there anything outside of professionals? I feel like just go for it, right? I feel like I'm getting that from you that when you have a great idea and you have your support of your loved ones. I really did try to consider all the angles and like they just, I kept getting green light after green light after green light. So the location worked out, having the key staff member, the key like mechanic worked out. So I think like figuring out what are the non-negotiables or like what are the baseline things you need in order to be successful? You focus on those first. If you can solve those problems, you know, other stuff's going to come up, but at least you've kind of got like a solid core there. And we were able to, to thankfully get some of those pieces ironed out. The other thing I would say is I think bike shops in general should pay more attention to branding and design and merchandising layout. And at least that's what we're going to be doing. And I think it's going to give frankly, a whole different look and feel to a bike shop than most people are used to. And I'm excited about that. Yeah, I feel like we're reaching a whole new slew of of customers, let's say, who are coming into bike shops for the first time and experiencing them. And you're setting a new way of retail, a new modern way um, that people can really connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to have to keep me in the loop when you open. And I don't know if you're having a party or did you get involved with your local chamber of commerce? Are you doing a ribbon cutting or? So I'm actually on the local chamber of commerce board. Of course. <laughs> which is which is how Easy Board, one of the reasons that Easy Board came to be was because I saw how boards worked and I, and I'm in the software world. And so I realized, Hey, this should be better. And by the way, I'm not sure what we'll do with it yet, but I've seen multiple things in the bike industry that like drive me nuts process wise that software would make better. And so I've already thought about some things that we could possibly do software wise to make the back office stuff of a bike shop more efficient. Well, I'll have to be keeping an eye on you and seeing what comes down the pipeline. We'll see what happens. Yeah. There's a question I like to throw at our guests um, in the end of every podcast, and that is in terms of retail excellence. And if I threw out the term to you, an excellence in bicycle retail, I, I wonder what that means to you. Excellence in every area. And what do I mean by that? I mean, not just great customer service. That's absolutely part of it great products. That's absolutely part of it. A great shop experience, like actually the, the look and feel and the flow of the shop, I think is part of excellence. The branding is part of the excellence. The, the online experience is part of the excellence. Those are all things that, you know, I don't think we're doing those all perfectly, but those are all things I'm thinking about. And we're pushing all those areas forward to try to make it very cohesive. So when you see the website, when you see the green van, when you walk into the shop, when you see someone on one of our products, it all clicks and feels very cohesive. That definitely aligns with what I think of bicycle retailer excellence. So thank you, Nate. Wow, uh, you've been great. I can't believe we've been chatting for over an hour, you know, almost an hour now. Thank you for coming on. Um, I think this is an awesome story for our listeners. We constantly have people reaching out who are thinking about opening up bike shops. And then, you know, a lot of conversations with our current members on, you know, how do I get into E and, and how we develop the customers and the clientele for e-bikes. So um, I'm really thankful. If people wanted to reach out to you, is it okay to share your contact information? Sure. Your email is nate at newspinshop.com. And then the website is newspinshop.com. And I recommend everyone just go check out the website. 
So that's it, Nate. I, keep us in the loop when, when you guys are opening, please. Well, thank you very much. Um, you, I, one last like observation that I guess that I might share that I don't know if it's, if it's just perceived or reality, but one of the things I kind of noticed was I definitely have some disadvantages coming new into the bike industry. But I think I also have some advantages because I don't have any sort of like preconceived notions about what a bike shop should be or what products we should carry or how we set stuff up. Like, so my, my approach here, my encouragement to people that might be new into the industry is I think you can actually inject some new life, some fresh perspective that will resonate with people and maybe a little different way. And I think some really positive ways for the industry as a whole. I agree with that fully. And Nate, you know, I'm thinking, please send us photos. I'd love to do a member spotlight to give people, you know, I have this mental image of turf running up your wall now. So I should give to- you, I'll, I'll send you an email with renderings. I've got renderings that Brian helped me together and it looks, it looks pretty fantastic. It looks realistic. That is awesome. All right, listeners. So that is it. I invite you to connect with me and come on Bicycle Retail Radio, share your story with our listeners, um, contribute to our outspoken blog, or you could become a feature on our member spotlight if you'd like. Lots of love for our industry. We're doing lots of great things. If you'd like to support the show, don't forget to subscribe to the show. I thank you for listening and hope to see you back here soon. And with this, we go. Peace. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership, and member benefits, join us at nbda.com. Mm-hmm.